Welcome to Marvin Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service brought to you from downtown Tyler, Texas. My name is Doug Baker and I'm the lead pastor. Today we continue a sermon series entitled Biblical Conjunctions. I'll be addressing the enemy of the soul, the devil. The great Romans 8 states, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against those who God has chosen? Let's join in as the message is already underway. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Cameron and Enan, and Jonathan, Mike Starr for leading us in our hymns today. So good to be with you as we are moving today to conclude our sermon series on biblical conjunctions. Uh, the, those conjunctions today, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we are concluding the series where we're taking on the devil today as an enemy of the soul who desires to, to alienate you, to, to isolate you, to condemn you, to accuse you. But we do not need to stand in fear. We can stand confidently because God not only justifies us by the grace of His great love, but Jesus Christ through His death on the cross is interceding for you so that you may be forgiven. Thanks be to God for this great message. Let us pray. Lord, in these moments, as your word is proclaimed, hide me now behind the cross. As we've just sung, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, open our voices that we can not only hear from you, but speak your truth, for your word is truth. Do a good work in us, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, many years ago, I learned as I was doing some research on mutual accountability. And mutual accountability simply means that when two individuals get into a mutual accountable relationship that they are going to look after one another, great things happen. I've seen it in school tutoring as I've met with a student weekly at Bonner Elementary, and that student has been committed to meet that hour with me. We've seen grades that have improved. We've seen behavior that has changed. But most importantly for the church, when we find that we are in mutual accountable relationships with another person who is for us, 
We find that it, whether it's a class meeting or a band, whether it is a life-to-life -life relationship of discipleship, when we find ourselves in those mutual accountable relationships, when others are for us, we succeed. I've seen it. I believe it. We succeed in our spiritual growth in the deepest levels of our being, when we believe that there is a person who desires to see us grow, to improve our lives, they are for us, amazing things can happen. And that is the power of relationships in the church. And that's why you need to come tonight at six o'clock to this band and class meetings to explore what it means to be in a mutual accountable relationship with other people who are for you and for your growth in Christ. But the best news of all today is, is that God is for you. God is for you. And if God is for you, who could be against you? A couple was driving to church one morning. They were running late. They were a little agitated. They hated to be late. They started an argument about whose fault it was. And then when they got to church, the, the husband told the pastor, the devil caused us to have a fight this morning. He's disrupting our lives and our spiritual lives. Now, Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, hears this, uses this illustration to raise the question. As if the pastor were to say, Really? The ruler of this world came into your minivan this morning? Maybe. But isn't it more likely that you were in a hurry, got a little stressed out, made some rash statements, and caused your spouse some pain? Maybe, friends, it's more the enemy of the flesh that we're talking about rather than the enemy of the devil. The illustration reveals a dilemma for us. We can overstate the devil's activity. The devil made me do it. Or we can go to the other extreme and we can just be frightened by the devil as with Hollywood's portrayal of demonic forces and just basically like the movie that's coming out, Exorcist, downright scare the hell into you. And let me just say, I'm... I don't apologize for using the word hell. We're here in church. We're talking about the devil. It seems it's an appropriate time to do that. But friends, I don't think we have to be fearful because Hollywood portrays all the demonic stuff to be so scary. But also, we not just to give everything to the devil. In fact, I have to tell you, two weeks ago I told you that I liked peanut M&Ms. And when I came to the office this morning, this was a gift for me from a church member. And I shared with you when I was talking about the flesh that I have difficulty when it comes to self-discipline about peanut M&Ms. Now, here's the question. Is that church member the devil? <laughs> I would say no. But I'm going to be tested. I can tell you about how I will use this. I'm making a point here this morning to do what C.S. Lewis so wonderfully and beautifully does in his book, The Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race often fall into. One is to disbelieve the devil's existence, and the other is to believe and feel that every excessive and unhealthy uh, interest is from him. Friends, it's been said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is to make us believe he didn't exist. But on the other extreme is this idea that the devil is in everything. I don't think that that's biblical. That's why I want to talk to uh, uh, you today about this message and why one of our church members probably is sighing uh, a sigh of relief right now that she is not the devil. 
What I want to do this morning is help you to understand the biblical passages about the, the tactics that the devil has used. They're simple to see as you look at the stories of how the devil works throughout scriptures. And I want to remind you that no matter what, whoever is against us, the devil or his demons, and there are demons, God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? The devil's a real threat. He's a real threat in the world today. But his true tactic is lies and half-truths. Because God is for you, you need to listen to Jesus Christ, who is the truth, and stay close to the Word of God to fight off the schemes of the devil. In our script, first scripture lesson that Brandy read for us, Jesus makes an important statement. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There were religious leaders hearing this conversation. There were Pharisees there, those who were keepers of the law. Jesus was giving his testimony about that he had come from the Father. He stands with God. He is God's will for the world. He's doing what is pleasing to God. And he wants his disciples to follow his commandments. The Pharisees, when they hear the word about the truth will set you free, kind of get distracted. They shoot back to, to Jesus, our father is Abraham. Could it be a dig about maybe Jesus' illegitimacy? I don't know. He's claiming to have his father be the heavenly father in heaven. But I just believe that Jesus must have held his tongue when he looked at the Pharisees and said, really, guys, you've never been a slave to anybody? Hmm. 200 years of history, Pharaoh in Egypt. Does any of that ring a bell? But he doesn't go there. What he wants them to understand is he's talking about being a slave to sin because he follows that up with a powerful statement. I'm here to forgive you of your sins, and if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He goes on to say, you're not acting like Abraham's descendants because you're looking for a way to kill me. That's in John 8:44. You belong to the Father. And then he says it, you belong to the devil. And here in John 8, we see really one of the longest descriptive uh, uses of Scripture for Jesus as he describes what the devil's work is. Are you ready for this? Randy read it to us. The devil is a murderer and has been a murderer from the beginning. He did not hold to the truth, for there was no truth in him. Jesus goes on to say, when he lies... It's his native language. Not only is he a liar, he is the father of lies. That means all the lies that are being told, the devil could be in there somewhere stirring things up. The Greek text, the Greek word for devil is diabolos. And this we'll find several times throughout Scripture this morning. It is translated devil and diabolo means to slander, to accuse, to defame, to malign, to condemn as in a relationship. 
It literally means to accuse someone to bring them down. Let's take a quick look at three major stories of the Bible. You will recognize thee where we see the devil at his work. Look for the consistency here. Genesis 3, you know the story. Adam and Eve, they're there in the garden. They're living a life in this beautiful place. They've got God around them. They are enjoying his fellowship and they're talking with God daily. And then a serpent shows up. We know the serpent to be the devil. Scholars identify him as the devil. And he is there to pose a question they were asked, remember by God, to just obey only one commandment. Don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And then the devil appears. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Do you hear that? Raising doubt about God's Word? Think about also, it's really a half-truth. God did give a commandment to not eat of a tree, one tree, but the devil slippily, simply changes the language. Any tree in the garden? Eve's pretty smart. She catches on. She engages. She says, God didn't tell us to eat from any tree. He said, one tree. And if we eat of it, we're going to die. Well, then, friends, here comes the big fat lie you will not die. Wow. We know the rest of the story. Once Eve has kind of engaged in this conversation, given the, the devil some room to, to work and get in her mind, then all of a sudden that fruit looks really, really tasty. So she takes of it, gives it to her husband, both of them eat of it. And then we know what happens. They must leave the garden and they are going to now die. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. So much for the devil's lie, you will not die. I just want to say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Really? We see it right there at the beginning. When Jesus is encountering the devil, then again in Luke 4, in the temptation, before he even begins his ministry, Diabolos is there, the slanderer, the tempter. He wants to, to take Jesus off track. He wants to lead him astray. He wants to debunk the ministry before it even begins. Jesus has just been baptized. God has declared, this is my son. I'm really, really pleased at him. And the first things out of the devil's mouth are, if you are the Son of God, let's raise the doubt. If you really are who you think you are, and then he goes and he asks him to use his powers to make stones into bread, and then he gets into this idea of, of taking on the world and all of its kingdoms. He said, you know, if you'll just bow down and worship me, you can have all of this. And I love this. Hear this now. Mark Comer makes a real clear point of this. Jesus doesn't refute him. Jesus does not say, you are not the prince of the world, that you don't have all this power. He simply says, no, I will worship the Lord God and worship him only. And friends, we talked two weeks ago about the flesh and the disordering of our loves and our desires. Remember that conversation? And what happens is the world takes priority over God. And once that happens, we don't have God and our love for God first. We begin to put children first. We begin to put our career first. We begin to put riches or our retirement first. Whenever that happens, you look out because things will get disordered and you're going to be in trouble and you will find some death and destruction. Jesus, though, says to him, 
being tested in his humanity. He will not do that. He continues to declare his love for God. And then let's just move on to Revelation 12, 9 and 10. I want to just show you how the end of the book describes what's going to happen here to the devil. And it says here, the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, get this, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the martyr's testimony. That's how the story ends, friends. And as some commentators put it, it's kind of like the invasion of Normandy back in World War II. The enemy was not defeated on June the 6th when the invasion took place, but the end, the defeat began, right? As we began to move his allied forces into Germany, and then eventually one day Berlin would fall when Hitler died, right? We know that the enemy's time is short, but as it says in the scriptures, he is the prince of the world. He is the prince of the world. Just look up the phrase online, prince of the world, and look at the references. Jesus uses it often, and when he does, he always talks about the prince of this world is hurled down, the prince of this world is bound, the prince of this world is done. So let me just give you that vote of confidence. Even though he may be the prince of the world now, he will not be the prince of the world forever. Amen, church? We know that we have victory in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's get back to Romans 8. God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously, graciously give us all things? I amazed by the, just the connection here that they want to call Abraham their father, and that's certainly what good Jews do, and I understand that, but Abraham made an op opportunity, was given an opportunity to sacrifice his son Isaac. He was asked to do that. God stopped that because God was not for the sacrifice of children. That's a very clear message of that story in the Old Testament, but for God himself, he does sacrifice his son. And it is through the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by his blood shed on the cross for us that we are justified. Verse 33 of Romans 8, it is God who justifies. And justification is a legal term. It means you are condemned, you are accused, but the judge decides that you are free to go. The judge decides that you are not guilty. The judge decides that you are forgiven. That is a justification that the judge makes. And we find also this beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only does God make the decision and the justification that you are forgiven, but Christ intercedes for us. Let me remind you again of Revelation 12, 10. I read just a moment ago. Did you hear it? The devil is busy accusing the saints day and night, accusing, accusing. He's not good enough. He'll never be forgiven. He could never measure up to much. He can't accomplish anything for you. Whatever you might be hearing in your voice, but God 
through the intercession of Jesus Christ, will be working the intercession. The scripture says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God justifies. Well, then who is it that condemns? Christ died, was raised, and he is interceding on behalf of you. So Christ is actively in heaven right now, interceding to the Father. And when the devil accuses, Jesus is right there to say, no, Mike is forgiven by my blood, Heavenly Father. Doug is forgiven by my blood. That is the intercession that Jesus makes for us. So how do we deal with this battle, friends? I want to look to a hero of old, the fourth century monk, an intellectual known as Evagoras Ponticus. He was a father, monk father in the Egypt deserts. He went out to the, to the deserts of Egypt to fight the devil. The key for Evagoras, you've got to win the battle of the mind. It was thoughts, thought patterns, internal narratives that the devil was always to be found. If there is weight or power that goes beyond your ability to resist, if you just want to give up because I can't do this anymore, if there's a dark animating energy behind those accusations that are prompting you to do something that you don't want to do, a bad habit that you just can't break, the vagarist would believe that that was a demon at work. So might I suggest four things for you? Because friends, we're here to stand firm. We're here to stand against the devil's schemes. So first of all, pay attention. Take the devil seriously, not for every little thing, not about M&Ms or having a fight with your spouse, but take the devil seriously about the thoughts that get into your mind. And as Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart says, at first we turned away from God in our thoughts. You think about it. When you're tempted, it's firstly your thoughts that begin to go away. And then it is by the thoughts that the first movements towards reconciliation and renovation of the heart can occur. It is that our mind that the battle begins. Now that we have a little better idea of how the devil works, pay attention to the scripture from Ephesians 6 where it talks about putting on the armor of God. It talks about the flaming arrows. Think of those flaming arrows and a shield of faith that you stand behind. Thinks about, it talks about a helmet of salvation because I think that's very key because it's the mind that is often becoming negative when the devil is stirring us up. Secondly, let me say this. Have a Bible reading plan. People will say those who fail to plan will plan to fail. Are you planning to read the scripture every day? Because as I said two weeks ago, if you do not read the scripture regularly, you are taking the sword out of the Holy Spirit's hand because the Holy Spirit has the word of God in his hand as a sword. Friends, we must read and feed our souls every day just as you plan what time I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna get dressed, I'm gonna eat breakfast, I'm gonna have lunch over here. You need to plan on when you're going to read scripture. You need to fill your mind with the word of God so that you can stand ready when the tests come and when the devil starts his lies. And thirdly, we must be in church weekly because it is here that the word of God is proclaimed, it is sung, it is studied. It is here at the church where we have mutual accountable relationships where people are for you and they want you to grow in Jesus Christ. That's not gonna happen in other places. It's only gonna happen in the church and around Christian circles. And lastly, like Evagoras, the monk, 
And get this, he made a handbook for taking on the devil. I want to encourage you to do the same. If you don't journal, maybe now's the time to start. He had a book called Talking Back, the monastic handbook for combating demons, and he had over 500 entries in it. And this is how he organized his thoughts. I share this with you if you want to write this down. First, write down the obsessive thought that you cannot shake. Write down that says, I can't break this habit. Write down whatever the thought is, whatever the feeling is, whatever the leading circumstances is where you always tend to fail. Pay attention to that. Write it down. And then move into what lie is beneath that thought, feeling, or sensation. For if the obsessive thought is, this challenge is too hard, I can't get through this on my own, I'm frozen on what to do next, or maybe if I talk about it, I just get anxious, I just don't want to do anything at all. Maybe those are the, the thoughts you're having. The lie might be this, I can only be happy if everything is going good in my life, everything is comfortable, maybe I need to fix the problem because that's where I find my worthiness. I'm the fixer of problems, and I can't fix this one. Own that. That's the lie the devil's telling you, that your worthiness, your value, your, who you are, your identity is being a problem fixer. No, you are a child of God. And then you must repeat, what is the truth? Come back to the end, what is the truth? Today I offer this, if God is for you, who can be against you? I will work, I will pray, I'll be patient, but I will believe that God is for me and there is nothing that could separate me, not even the biggest problem I face, Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I invite God into this challenging space. So friends, though the devil, though the flesh, though the world are against us, God is for us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Take your stand, read and study Memorize God's Word. Be in church. Know the truth. Create your own handbook of combating the devil and his lies. And find people around you that are for you. But most importantly, don't ever forget, God is for you in the battle. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning worship services at 8.30, 11 on our campus in downtown Tyler, Texas. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church and ways that you can partner with us to make a difference for God's kingdom here in Tyler and around the world. May God bless you and may you have a great day.